Look in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. And you'll notice that there's some things that God has said here. This is why this is so important. What they say, never again. God says, yes, it will be again. Israel rebelled against God, were scattered upon the face of the earth, and he says they're going to come back to the land, and they have, and they're back in unbelief. And because they're back in unbelief, even though they have made the desert blossom as a rose, it's all temporary. Found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, yes, it's going to blossom as a rose, but referring to another period of time yet in the future. Israel is not back in the land to stay. Israel's worst days are ahead of them. Because the Bible says and describes that in the last days, they will be able to rebuild their temple. And we went to the Temple Institute. And they showed us the things that they've got ready for the temple worship. And they say they've even got the cornerstone. I've heard people say they've got all the stones already pre-cut and ready to throw that thing together. I've never seen it. I haven't had it verified. I'm just telling you what I've heard. And I don't put much stock in that. So I can't say, definitely this is what's done. But they're looking for the temple to be rebuilt. That's for sure. And that means that there has to be a peace treaty made where they can have the right to the land, the right to exist as a people, the right to the temple mount. And so that is all coming. But that peace treaty that they make, the Bible says it will be broken. So in verse 15 is the breaking of that peace treaty that's going to be made with Israel. Jesus is telling this. This is talking about a time that has not yet happened. This is in the future. When it says, And when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, let those that be in Judea flee into the mountains. So it talks about fleeing and getting out of Israel. And the reason is because there's going to be a great move from all the nations to totally, once and for all, annihilate the Jewish people. Now, I don't like that, but that's still Bible. I don't write it. I just tell you what it says. And even though they say, never again, yet these verses right here say, yes, one more time. And there's never been a time like it. So what Hitler did is not as bad as what's going to take place. Because not only will it be upon the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, God's going to be pouring out His judgment upon the Gentile nations. See, what God would do is He's got His special little boy. Uh, the, you know, Jacob, and his name was changed to Israel, and he got his own. And whenever his child becomes rebellious, God uses these other nations as the rod to chasten his child. And then when he gets through with that, then he's going to use other nations to chasten those nations that chastened his child. Because the Gentiles have not done any better with all the truth and the knowledge that they have. Because they are rejecting the truth. Look at America. How blessed we were in the beginning. In the founding of this country. Upon biblical principles. In the constitution that we have. And we've been so blessed with. Now we want people. We got people that want to change all of that. They don't want God in our school. They don't want the kids to have prayer. Everything that's clean, decent. You can't teach the kids anymore. So they're going to grow up acting like a bunch of wild animals. They're not going to be disciplined. 
They're going to be rebellious because they've never had the fear of the rod across the bottom of that little rear end of theirs. And they don't feel the pain. And everything is owed to them. we got a generation today that thinks the government owes them everything. The government can't give you anything until it takes it from you first. And it always gives you back less than it took from you. Anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked today. <laughs> but you'll notice as you go down through here, it makes a statement there in verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking to the Jewish people. There's never been a time like this. This is the chapter that talks about in the book of Jeremiah about the times of Jacob's sorrows. It's the tribulation period. It's the 70th week of Daniel. And then he says this, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. The elect's sake, I believe, is that remnant of Israel that God has maintained where there's Jewish people who have believed in the Lord. And there's going to be, even during the tribulation period, multitudes of people from all nations are going to be killed. But this time is coming. And if God doesn't intervene... No flesh will be left alive on the face of this earth. And I believe that day is coming. Now, page two. Zechariah. Turn to Zechariah in chapter 12. The book of Zechariah in chapter 12. These are some of the notes that uh, you can look at, but I'll be mainly reading out of the scriptures here. But Zechariah chapter 12. And we'll begin there in verse 2. Now remember, now this is Old Testament, almost 500 years before Christ. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone, like a hot potato. You ever pay past the potato, the hot potato? It's really hot. And you can't hold it long, so you've got to pass it off. Pass the hot potato. And the last thing you want to do is be caught with the holding that hot potato. That's the way it is with Israel. All the presidents have talked about how they're going to handle this hot potato. But once they get into office, nobody wants to handle that hot potato. Because look at the consequences. The world turns against you. But I praise the Lord for some of the decisions that Donald Trump has made. And if somebody says, I don't think you ought to say that, I don't care if you don't like it. I am not a politician, and I don't play games. I'm talking about from what I know about the book. You take this book away, and I'm just like every other ignorant person out there. But I'm not ignorant. I know what the Word of God has to say, and it's a burdensome stone. We had a chance to even go by the U.S. Embassy. You would have thought you were going in front of the uh, uh, the country of America is like it flags everywhere. Israel flags and American flags. They've got a flower garden there with an American flag. They're thrilled to death that they got somebody to trying to watch their back, you know. But look what it says here in verse 3 And in that day will I make Jerusalem a hot potato, 
burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The day is coming when all the nations of the earth, and that would include America, and that would include Britain and all the other nations that right now might be on Israel's side. All nations are going to turn against Israel because we're not going to have Trump forever. Somewhere along the line, something's going to take place. You can bet your bottom dollar on that. So these things are going to take place. But now what I want you to see there, look in verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Now remember, this was written before Jesus Christ ever came. And he's talking about down the road and how that Jerusalem is going to be a burdensome stone. And verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have what? Now you can say anything you want. That's not some other prophet. This is talking about Jesus Christ. And this scripture is talking about Jehovah. You see there in verse 1, the burden of the word of the capital L-O-R-D. That's Jehovah. That's the God of Israel. And then when he talks about this all the way through here, and then you get there to verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of uh, David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. The one that they... Pierce was God in the flesh. God came into this world, and God took upon him flesh. That's called the Son of God. He came out of it. God came into this world. He says, this is my only begotten Son. So Jesus Christ is coming back again. And he says that when he comes back, he's going to have the scars already in his hands. So look in chapter 13. Chapter 13, and look there in verse 6. And when he comes back, it says in verse 6, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. He was crucified by his own people. This is Old Testament, not New Testament. And I cannot see how a Jewish person can read these scriptures and not see the Messiah. Blows my mind. But I had the privilege of talking to several of them, and they just can't see it. Highly intelligent, but they're blinded to the Messiah. And it breaks my heart, not only because of what has happened, because Israel rejected their Messiah. And look at all the things that have happened, and they still can't see it. Now they have deception of prosperity. It'll never happen again. We're going to see to that. We've got some nukes. We've got an iron dome, and we've got the United States behind us. It'll never happen again. Yes, it will. You say, how do you know? The Bible. I can either believe them, or I can believe what the book says. So now look in chapter 14. Chapter 14. Now look in verse 1. This is descriptive of something that is yet to take place. It's never happened before. Behold, the day of the L-O-R-D, Jehovah, cometh. Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. And I will gather, get this, I, Jehovah, I will gather all nations except America 
against Jerusalem. What does it say? All nations. I just have this belief that, you know, whatever it says, that's what I believe. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the house rifled, and the women ravaged. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And this is when he says, And when thou shalt see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. It's time to flee because of what's coming. It's the great tribulation, the last three and a half years. So then he says in verse 3, Then shall the L-O-R-D, Lord, go forth and fight against those nations. as when he fought in the day of battle. The Lord is going to do this. And notice something else about the Lord. He says in verse 4, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. We stood upon the Mount of Olives. And it is on the east of the eastern wall and the eastern gate from where the temple would stand. But we've been right there. That wall, that gate is sealed, just like it says it would be in the book of Ezekiel. So the gate has been sealed, and the Bible says that when Jesus Christ was here, and when he ascended up into heaven, he says, the angels were standing there, and he says, why stand here gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you, will so come again in like manner as you have seen him go, shall come again. And where did he leave from? The Mount of Olives. Where is Jesus coming back to? The Mount of Olives. And when he comes back to that Mount of Olives, this is God coming back. And they shall see me whom they have pierced. That's the second time he comes. Not the first time. He's coming back again. Then he says here in verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight. This is why at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible says there's going to be this great battle of all these nations. And it says the angels in chapter 14 and 15 and so forth, they talk about how that the angels are going to have sickles in their hands. And they go throughout the earth and they're cutting down these grapevines. And they're pulling them into this great big old wine press. We saw some wine press over there where they would get the, the grapes and so forth and put them in. And then they would get in there with their footsies and make some juice. Wouldn't you want them to make sure they had clean feet? Because you're going to drink that. But God says that the plains of Jezreel in this valley where there's a tell they're called Megiddon. And we believe this is where Armageddon takes place when the nations of the earth are going to be brought into this great valley and God is going to come back and he's going to take care of every one of these nations who come to battle against Jerusalem. And God says the blood will run as high as the horse's bridle. Now, I don't know exactly all the little details of it. I don't really care. But I believe if God says this is going to happen, it's going to take place. Now, he makes a statement here in verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. So this Mount of Olives is going to cleave. It talks about north and south, east and west. A great valley and the 
Many believe that the, the water, the fountain of water is going to come up and flow all the way down into the Dead Sea and that the time will come during the kingdom that they will be fishing and casting their nets by the Dead Sea. Has that happened yet? Then it's future. And this battle is still future. And this worst period of time the world's ever known is still future. It hasn't happened yet. But Israel is being deceived. Now notice something else. He makes a statement here in verse 8. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, Mediterranean, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And this is going to be fresh water. Look what he says in verse 9. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Isn't Jesus Christ supposed to be the king of Israel? Where is he that is born king of Israel? Jesus Christ is the king, and he's the one that's supposed to rule. In the book of Isaiah, he is called the Holy One. He says, there is no other God. I know not any. There is nobody else. And my glory will I not give to another. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God himself upon planet earth. Now notice. He makes a statement about what's going to take place. And then describes this last battle. See what it says here in verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their, feet, in their mouth. While they're standing on their feet, their flesh will come off their bones. Their eyes will cons- come out of their sockets, and their tongue out of their mouth. What kind of a war is this going to be? Bows and arrows? And when he says that all the green grass will be burnt, the green tree is going to be burnt. Things in the ocean, the seas, all going to die. What kind of a battle can this be? And if you'll think, Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima, this is what took place. Do I believe there's a possibility that we could have a nuclear war again? Yeah, I believe it with all my heart. And I believe that uh, we're headed right in that direction. We're going to have some little nut, mash some little button, and there she goes. But God told us, says, this is what's going to take place. And it describes this last power. And at the end of time, all these nations are going to come. Look what he says right there. When he makes this statement in verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Well, up there in verse 2. And I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. You see, God can take these nations and whoop Israel. And they're coming after Israel with a vengeance. Because they will believe that Israel is the reason for the problems of the world. They believed it before. And there's movements on right now of people turning against the nation of Israel. Even in America, on some of our campuses, they're talking against Israel. Yes or no? You ought to listen to the news. And there's people all over Europe. And some of the Jewish people are leaving places like France and Spain and other countries because of the persecution they're already starting to have all over again, just like it did before. Well, it'll happen. But look at verse 16. And it shall come to pass 
Everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. The Bible says that's Jesus Christ. He is the King of Israel. And when he comes back the second time, they're going to see him who has the scars in his hands and his feet. You see, that's his documentation. That's his proof. He has the right to claim the throne of Israel, and nobody else can claim the throne of Israel except him. So when they say, never again, it will be again. And that's why we need to be aware, pray for as many Jewish people that possible can trust Christ as Savior. I want Israel to, I want them to turn to the Lord. And if they turn, let it be another generation that does it. But this generation is the only one I'm responsible for. This is the one that we're responsible for. We ought to do everything we can to get as many Jewish people and as many Gentiles. Did you know what you are? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Doesn't mean you're gentle. Means you're Gentile. Look up here. I had the privilege of showing this a couple times on the trip. This is you and me. This is sin. So it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, whatever. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. I don't know when you're gonna die. I don't even know when I'm gonna die. But one of these days it's gonna happen. One of these days is going to happen to you and I if the Lord doesn't come back and intervene. So I have to live my life as though I'm going to die of natural causes. I hope it's natural causes. I've had my life threatened before, but Betty changed her mind. <laughs> Somebody asked the other day, says, what is the biggest detriment to marriage? The wedding cake. I only get that after a while. What's the biggest cause of divorce? Marriage. Now look up here. Humor aside now. This is you and me. This is sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us. Now he hates our sin, but he loves us. I want people to know that. That God loves you. But to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. In a literal fire burn in hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, as righteous as God. And nobody's perfect. Nobody's righteous. We've all sinned against a holy God. And there's a price to pay. The wages of sin is death. Since we've all sinned, we're all condemned. And God says you cannot save yourself. God doesn't accept any works of man. So it's out of your hands. If it's not of works, that means it's out of your hands. You can't earn it because it's out of your hands. You cannot save yourself. So going to church, giving money, all those good things, not good enough. You cannot save yourself. That's why you need a Savior. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loved us, but he hates our sin. Because our sin separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But he took all the sins of all the world upon himself and paid for it. And came back from the dead. You don't pay for something twice. He's already paid for all the sins of the world. The only thing he wanted me to do is believe he did it for me. So when I believe he did it for me, he puts the payment to my account. I go to heaven on what he did. I'm not going to heaven on what I do, but what he did. He paid for my sins. So the reason I'm going to heaven is because I can't go to hell. And the reason I can't go to hell is because I don't have any sins to pay for. You see, you don't, you don't deserve that. Grace means you don't deserve it. 
You're saved by grace. means you don't merit it. means there's nothing for you to do to try to attain this free gift. When he died, he died for you. And he just wants you to know, would you believe he did it for you? That's on the level that anybody can have it. All you got to do is hear the story and believe it. And if you'll believe it, he gives to you as a free gift everlasting life. And if it's everlasting life, how long would it last? If it lasts forever and all your sins are paid, where would you go when you die? To heaven. So can you know before you die where you're going to go? I've known that for 57 years. I'm going to heaven whenever I die. That's the best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you to do so right now. And so I'm going to ask you, in the quietness of this moment, if you will trust the Lord. Because God says if you will trust Him, He would save you and give you everlasting life. So if you've never done so, I would like to have prayer for you. But I'd like to know if what I've said made sense to you. The Bible is true. God does love you. Jesus did pay for your sins. Would you believe he did it for you? You see, he's not asking you to do an impossibility. Because, you see, this is just believing that he did something for you because he loved you that much. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never done so, I'm going to ask you, will you trust Jesus Christ right now, right where you are, and say, Lord, I believe you did it for me. And friend, God said if you'll trust him, believe it, he'll give you eternal life. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you, and I'd like to know, and I'd like to have prayer for you in closing. So is there anyone at all this morning say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior, and I'd like you to pray for me in closing. Would you just slip in it very quickly, put it right back down? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Wait just a second. Think about it very carefully. It would be a shame to walk out of this room and never trust Christ as your Savior. Being deceived that you've got a lot of time left. Oh, you know, you can always do it later. Not so. Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We ask your blessings upon each one here. And Father, we're thankful also for all that you've done for us, for giving us that free gift of everlasting life and for paying all our sins so that we never have to face them again. And Lord, for giving us the ability to be into your family, your child. And we ask now your blessings upon the service that we're going to have right now, that we're thankful for what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.